A reading from 100 Men, written by Hazel Houston. Chapter 2 Guinea Pig Year February 26, 1967 was opening day. By midday, the first 14 of the 100 men, except four were girls, had successfully squeezed their possessions into the few pieces of furniture and limited room space allotted to them. Ahead of them were two years of discipline and hard work. They were not entirely ready for either, as the months ahead would show. The trials and tribulations of that first year. Living with other people, adjusting and being willing to give, getting used to bells and bells and bells. Finding the biggest trial was himself, said one student. The college opened almost without notice except by the local church. The students met with pastors, deacons and their wives over afternoon tea. Excitement and joy filled the air. A medley of questions occupied the students' minds, as we found out later. Would they be able to cope with all the lectures and the work? What would the lectures be like? The realisation that they were there to find their place in God's plan lessened the underlying uneasiness. Frank and Hazel Houston felt tears were close as they looked on the beginning of the vision's fulfilment. That night at the inaugural meeting, the students were introduced to the church, although eight of them needed no introduction. They were lower hut young people. The others came from Blenheim, Manuera, Auckland, Nelson and Te Awamutu. Pastor Raphael's sent a telegram reading, We in Manuera pray that the light which is lit this day will never be extinguished. Some thought it would go out, but the light still burns ten years later. Though two of the students dropped out, another was added in April. In the first year, there were only two terms, one of 22 weeks and the second of 23. That was tough going, but it was a short year. The second year, three terms were introduced based on the secular school timetable. In 1977, this is still the basis the college works on. Students worked in the mornings, had lectures, afternoons and evenings, studied and prayed when they could. College classes were divided into periods with five-minute breaks between and 15 minutes for afternoon tea. Married students spent most of the Saturday studying. Though a set of rules had been framed from the beginning, discipline was left at a minimum the first term, but some took advantage of their freedom and students demanded it be tightened. Rules were then enforced, and along with that enforcement, a demerit system was introduced. Cards were issued for breaking the rules and for bad conduct. They carried points, two for minor offences, five for more serious ones. Students getting 10 demerits in one term appeared before the principal, and after 15 they would be confined to campus. 25 would mean expulsion. It happened at least that one student had a happy knack of getting demerits and was confined to college grounds for two weeks. He threatened to leave but saw it through. Two of his offences, failure to remove an old car after repeated warnings and arrogance toward the principal. The dean gave him the second demerit. Perhaps this was why he took the demerit card from the principal's office and wrote him a demerit, the offence dancing in church. The principal puzzled for eight 
years as to how Ken Price got hold of that card, but Ken, now a pastor, finally gave his secret away. In order to get a better liaison between students and staff, a student council was set up. Students brought their problems to the council. Any suggestions made by the council were considered by the staff, though not all ideas were adopted. A few requests put forward by the council were 1. All persons wanting lunch and tea on Saturday, Sunday and holidays must sign up on the sheet provided. 2. Tea and sugar used in the coffee break should be obtained from the college and not the church. 3. Demerits should be issued on the spot, not later. Strictness appreciated. 4. Periodic talks involving etiquette and general courtesy should be given. 5. Any new rules should be announced publicly and written. Discuss attendance at CAs. 6. Student Council to handle Wednesday devotions each week. Later, the Student Council disbanded and the responsibilities given to head students. Students quickly found themselves fitting household chores into a fairly full program. One student did breakfast cooking, others went out to work, but none escaped the roster duties. This week, setting tables. Next week, cleaning the bathrooms or stoking the donkey. The old coke furnace which heated the water or doing the dishes. The posting of the dusty list brought a crop of moans. The worst indignity seemed to be asking the boys to take a turn at weekend cooking. It was easy for the boys when they shared with a girl student, but not easy for the girls. Certain telltale odours wafting out the window gave away the secret mishaps of the amateur cooks. It hasn't changed over the years. In spite of this, there weren't too many upset digestive systems, but there were just upset students who wanted other arrangements made. Because the church could not afford an extra salary, it was suggested that students pay someone themselves. They declined. They didn't have any money either. The program of this first year has been basically retained. Like parliamentary laws, there have been amendments and deletions. This has been found necessary with increased roles, changes of staff and the needs of the students themselves. In the second year of this guinea pig class, Cecil Mulvar designed an emblem which was made into a badge. The emblem is still used on the college notepaper. It showed the three main foundations of Christian Life Bible College, the cross, the Bible, and the fire of the Holy Spirit, with the initials CLBC at the base. He also coined the college motto, informed and anointed. In those early days, students were discovered swatting at 3am as it drew towards exam time. They were determined to gain the 60% needed for a pass, study at that time was forbidden from then on. That year will also be remembered for the year of the storm, the Wahine storm, which not only wrecked a ship but tore buildings to shreds. For hours the students struggled in the howling gale to keep the roof on the church. Some were inside holding it down while others were outside trying to nail the iron in place. The students were practical as well as spiritual. At the end of two years, as the end of two years approached, the future of the students became a matter of concern. A plan to be known as the Field Student Scheme evolved. Chosen ministers, pastoring assemblies were approached to see if they would be prepared to take graduates and train them in the practical aspects of the ministry and the general running of a church, a kind of third year. 
the idea was taken up and so members of the guinea pig class were appointed to various churches. After 80 years, one of those students thinks it was a good plan and the thesis they had to complete helped good study habits. The scheme was dropped after 1975 for it was failing to fulfil its purpose due possibly, suggests a graduate, to the change allowing students to choose their own churches. While this was done with the cooperation of staff and churches concerned, some students have found themselves in frustrating situations and achieving nothing. Invitations from ministers for assistance from graduates is still prayerfully considered and there are still those who go into churches in this capacity, but they are not known as field students. Cecil Mulwa sums up the first years. Pioneer CLBC had a great many challenges and no less problems, but like all other visions that God gives us, survived them all. And 10 years later is a proof of the guidance that God gave at its formation. Apologies for any mispronunciations of New Zealand places and names.